This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 15th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Is the judiciary compromised by money donated to groups that then write briefs to those courts? Are organizations, well, like the Cato Institute, actively working to unduly influence judges to interpret the law and the Constitution in a favorable way? Senator Sheldon Whitehouse seems to believe that's the case. And he wants to know exactly who is funding groups that file briefs in federal courts, among other invasive measures. Cato's Ilya Shapiro heads the amicus program at the Cato Institute. We spoke last week. Based on his statements and hearings, what does Sheldon Whitehouse believe about the federal judiciary? Senator Whitehouse doesn't like conservative, originalist, libertarian judges and legal scholars. And he thinks they're too powerful. And he thinks they're too powerful for a whole host of reasons, including so-called dark money. And uh, he's proposed uh, a number of pieces of legislation uh, to require more disclosure of those funding sources, uh, travel by these judges, and other connections between such nefarious organizations as uh, the Federalist Society, Pacific Legal Foundation, the Cato Institute, and members of the federal judiciary. Okay, so uh, the Cato Institute has a large amicus program that you head. Uh, tell me about that process of uh, filing amici in, in particularly in federal courts. Well, contrary to what uh, Senator Whitehouse might think, uh, I don't uh, get regular phone calls from Charles Koch or anyone else, or even Peter Gettler, uh, Cato CEO, saying you must file uh, in this case or don't file in that one. Uh, we get queries from appellate advocates, Supreme Court advocates, saying, hey, this is a good case. Seems like right up Cato's alley. Would you consider filing in support of us? And we take a look at it and make a decision of whether there's an important legal issue there and whether there's a clear libertarian perspective and whether it's central to Cato's mission. Those are really the only factors we consider. Uh, and then we decide whether to do it in-house as we do in kind of uh, bread and butter issues on which we've developed expertise like the Commerce Clause or the First Amendment, or to join an outside organization because we're not going to repeat a brief that someone else is already writing, uh, or to get uh, uh, a big law firm or a professor to write that brief for us pro bono. All right. So what is the impact that uh, you hope to have with uh, Cato's amicus program? We have more than one audience. Obviously, we want to have an effect on the case in which we file. We want to have uh, judges, justices, their clerks read our brief and have that affect the eventual legal analysis they apply to the case. Uh, but even beyond that, uh, we want to affect, as all of Cato's work does, the climate of public opinion. And so uh, we write our briefs in English, not legalese. In part, that's good lawyering, actually, but it also makes our briefs more accessible than most to members of the media, those who are, are interested in, in public policy uh, more broadly, um, people who come, come to Cato's website or just want to learn about a particular case and stumble across our brief and, and, and want to uh, understand a, a clear exposition of the original public meaning of the Constitution or of uh, good uh, law and economics analysis of a particular regulation, that sort of thing. I, I think Sheldon Whitehouse would like to draw a sort of clear line between the, the reasoning that various groups offer in their amicus briefs to, uh, in particular, the Supreme Court uh, and the money that funds them. 
But the, the level of attenuation that is required for you to draw that line, uh, it, it's, it's very difficult. Individuals broadly fund the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute then files a brief, brief in hopes of influencing uh, opinion of a court, and then the court rules how it, how it will. Uh, that's, that's quite uh, the attenuated relationship. That's attenuated. It's even more attenuated if you're talking about uh, corporate involvement or some sort of uh, pooling organization. Um, it's a similar dynamic to, I guess, politicians, although even more so because, as you said, the court rules on on other issues and their their independence, not just a matter of uh, attempting to influence a politician's vote. Um, and I think Senator Whitehouse fundamentally misunderstands the causation arrow. Cato and whatever organization, whether it's the Sierra Club, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, you know, we all do what we do, whatever our mission is, uh, ideological advocacy, what, whatever the case might be. And then donors who like us will fund that. It's not that some donor says, oh, I want to, uh, you know, I want a brief on that issue or I want a policy paper on that issue and then gives money to, to Cato to fund that. No. Um, and, I, you know, Senator Whitehouse, I, I don't think he's a dumb guy. And so I think he understands that because the same dynamic, as I said, exists on all parts of the ideological scale. For that matter, he himself gets funding from uh, trial lawyers, from different industry groups, from political action committees. Uh, and I don't think, uh, you know, he in his heart of hearts is a staunch libertarian, but just votes the way he does because of these groups. No, uh, people are who they are. And then they, you know, people who agree with them start funding them. But what is he specifically asking for? Well, many things. There are different pieces of legislation that that he supports. He wants more disclosure uh, of amicus brief funders uh, directly. So when we file an amicus brief in the Supreme Court, there's a footnote, footnote one, which requires a statement uh, about whether anyone other than uh, counsel that's listed on the brief page has has written the brief and whether anyone other than uh, Amici, the parties who are again listed or their counsel has funded it. So he would require, I guess, every time we file a brief to attach an entire list of all of Cato's donors or, or something like that, um, which would apply to everyone. And presumably the goal is to chill that kind of speech to, you know, you know, it, he, he talks about we want to know exactly who's funding this stuff. But but why? What does that tell you unless you actually want to prevent those kind of uh, voices from from being heard. But that's only one part of it. That's the Amicus Act. There's also, he wants more disclosure of uh, when judges attend Federalist Society or American Constitution Society meetings. He wants to know when they travel, who is paying for that. Not whether they're getting paid, their honoraria, that's already disclosed. But if they're getting, they're, they're getting to go to a conference, he wants more disclosure of not just the foundation for education and economics, but who funds fee. Uh, those types of disclosures. So more, more disclosures of, uh, of all of that to, to clear up this dark money uh, problem. Uh, and then there's, it, it goes more beyond not just judges, but the capture of the courts. He goes after the Federalist Society and Leonard Leo as, you know, somehow nefariously convincing judges or picking judges that otherwise would not vote as they're voting. But instead, you know, Brett Kavanaugh becomes a conservative because of Leonard Leo's funding or, or something like that. It's a it's a whole web of conspiracy. If you saw at Amy Coney Barrett's uh, uh, hearing in October, he had these charts with arrows going every which way. It's like a scene from uh, uh, It's Always Sunny in, in Philadelphia, that that grand conspiracy. 
when you talk about disclosure and the kinds of disclosure that he would like to see, it reminds me of uh, a piece of legislation that was offered by Charles Schumer a few years ago. Uh, and I, I believe parts of that are a part of H.R. 1, which is the the legislation that Democrats would like to uh it's so it's so-called voting rights legislation, but th- this idea that uh, mandated disclosures would not chill speech. I think Charles Schumer is on the record saying, "Well, yeah, it will chill speech," and that's sort of the point. That is the point. Yes, uh, there was a, a key moment in the hearing that he ran uh, that that White House ran uh, about dark money and corrupting the courts. Uh, where uh, NAACP versus Alabama, a foundational Supreme Court case from 1958, kept kept coming up, where the Supreme Court uh, protected the NAACP from having to disclose its membership lists to the state of Alabama, which you can imagine what uh, why they wanted that information in in 1958. Well, there's a similar dynamic now with uh, intimidation, harassment, uh, threats up, up to physical violence. Um, you know, there's a case, in fact, pending before the Supreme Court now called Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Becerra, Becerra being the still the California Attorney General uh, nominee to be uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, about California's demand for donor lists. Why? To presumably facilitate and enable the same sort of pressure uh, and harassment. And, you know, the ACLU and the NAACP and other uh, more progressive organizations have filed the uh, on the same side as Cato and PLF and Americans for Prosperity, et cetera, because these are these are key uh, protections for the for freedom of association, for for private uh, association. And at this hearing, um, Senator Maisie Hironi of, of Hawaii said that um, that NAACP versus Alabama somehow, uh, you know, ain't much in the context of donor privacy or these issues with uh, Schumer's Disclose Act or H.R. 1. And that, I think, shows, again, whether it's being disingenuous or whether it's uh, you know, not really understanding what's going on in this dynamic of you know, transparency, disclosure, that sounds great. But at the end of the day, if, if your goal, and certainly with the effect, is to chill political activity and speech and legal advocacy, after all, uh, then uh, that remedy is worse than whatever problem you're, in this case, misidentifying. Ilya Shapiro, among other things, heads the amicus program at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>